0: Stories, we all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks. And I'd like to know what's your story? Titanium Blonde Talks would like to thank today's sponsor, Girl Gang Craft. Girl Gang Craft is a community powered by women, for women. Girl Gang Craft hosts female, non-binary, and trans craft fairs in the Bay Area. Look for us in LA soon. We help small businesses build their brands. Plus, we have an in-house clothing and accessory line designed by our founder, Phoebe Sherman. Our uterus line has donated 10% to Planned Parenthood and has collected over $1,500 for them to date. You can follow Girl Gang Craft on Instagram at girlgangcraft and shop from their website, www.girlgangcraft.com. Want some branding support? Reach out to girlgangcraft at gmail.com. Thank you, Phoebe and Girl Gang Craft for your support. We really appreciate it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks, the podcast for women, about women, celebrating women's stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, the messy, all of the wins and the losses. Everyone has a story, and they all deserve to be told. Joining me today on this episode is Steph Goncora, someone who I have followed for quite some time on Instagram. And... I am so happy that she's here. We've spent quite a bit of time trying to negotiate to get to this point between my internet and her be- her schedule and living in the jungle. So bear with us if we have background stuff going on today, because she is back in the jungle today. If you don't know Steph, she is a 500 RYT, that means registered yoga teacher, and aerial arts as well. She's currently based in Uvita, Costa Rica. And she has started her training with Megan Curry, I believe, in Nicaragua. And she's continued to pursue an additional 300-hour training. I know right now she's been doing a lot of work in the yoga medicine school program, which I'm so envious of because I've really wanted to do that, and I just haven't been able to make it work. So she's been an athlete her whole life. She practiced gymnastics in high school, taught pole fitness and aerial dance during college. And she started a serious daily yoga practice over seven years ago. What I love about Steph's whole presence on the internet is I found her through yoga and she is one of the best cures. She makes things very approachable, very doable. And she's very clear with her directions and just very doesn't have to be perfect. It's all about just trying to be safe. She is one of the people for me, I'm drawn to her honesty, her true sense of who she is. And she talks about the hard stuff and says it like it is. Plus, we get to see all the great food that she cooks in the jungle. Steph, thank you so much for joining me this morning and for bearing with me as we got all of our schedules together and got the internet to cooperate.
1: Well, Sherry, thank you. Right back to you. First of all, I'm so excited to finally be here. I know there was a lot of patience on both ends, you know, with the internet and the weather and just the travel schedule, but it's always a pleasure to connect with other women in the industry and just get some of that story out there. So thank you so much.
0: Tell us a little bit about, I, and I know that you do this um, through the internet, through Instagram, but for those of you, for those that may not know you, tell us a little bit of your story about how you very purposely have created this life for yourself in Costa Rica, and what what was sort of the impetus to draw you to this space? Sure.
1: Well, let's see. I have to go back a little while, and I'm not sure if all of it was purposeful. Um, I, I have, for the last decade or so, had the plan to move to Central America even before I met or knew my husband, uh, Dr. Ben House, I had done a lot of medical work in Nicaragua in college. And I really enjoyed it. I was on the veterinary medical path in college and I loved the culture of Central America. I loved the climate, the people, the flora, the fauna. And I've always been drawn back to my Hispanic roots. I'm half Mexican. I grew up visiting my family in and around Mexico. And I wanted to move somewhere in Mexico or Central America. And over the years, that changed from Nicaragua originally, which was one of my first loves, to Costa Rica, which I visited with Ben quite often. And we decided as far as having a viable retreat center that we could attract people in the wellness and the movement and medical field to that Costa Rica already had kind of the vibe of health, wellness, fitness, and had a little bit clearer of a path to residency because we wanted to do everything, you know, according to the books, we wanted to contribute to the society, and of course, had a slightly more reliable internet, which is important for two people who work (laughs) online.
0: It was such a great process to kind of watch you talk about because you were really pretty honest about what it was you were doing and how you were doing it, and And I know that you guys just picked up your residency cards recently. We
1: did, yes. It was a two-year process, um, but we are now temporary residents. You know, it's we're still not permanent, Um, probably never will be, although we will eventually try for citizenship and then that'll change. But yes, we did just pick up those residency cards, which was exciting. I also wanted to mention that, you know, we had this idea of opening this retreat center long before yoga and came into my life and medicine came into my husband's life. And it's just kind of funny. We were talking about it last night, how we envisioned hosting all these retreats of people that we admired and our friends and family. And now that has slowly become most of the dry season, most of the high season here, we're hosting our events My husband's in the medical and the fitness field and then mine in the movement and yoga field. So things have changed and grown as our dreams have changed and grown, Uh, but there was always that seed of wanting to come to the jungle and have a center based around wellness and movement
0: it really is that whole thing of the growth you know you start in you start with whatever the seed is whatever your passion is and then it grows outward from there and what's so important that i think that you've kind of done is to be able to hold on to what your passion was what that seed was and to be able to step through to the opportunities that came along and and change and grow with whatever showed up. Because uh, just watching you guys build your house and then be able to build the retreat center and then to see people come to the retreat, it, it was like this whole great thing that we watched unfold. And I, I was, it was really impressed because you guys live in the middle of the freaking jungle.
1: <laughs> you know, we, we really do. And I forget now, I think I forget that this is not necessarily normal for your average American uh, citizen. And whenever people come to visit, you know, they've seen it online and they've seen me post about it, whether or not it's on Instagram or my website. But I don't think you really understand until you get here and you're driving on the road, which is very ugly right now uh, because it's wet season and the power goes off a few times the first night until you really get here, do you encapsulate and understand what it means to be in the middle of the jungle?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and just to see, I mean, the days that you show the pictures of some of the wild bugs that are there mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the monkeys that show up, I mean, you you truly are surrounded by the jungle and that you guys have been able to carve out this retreat center is incredible. When we were talking about you having to make it into the city and whether you, you were going to be able to make it back and what was going on with the roads and being able to get food. And it's like, it's going back to the basic survival stuff, which is a lot of people take that for granted in living in a city or living in a more populated area. Yes,
1: that's very true. It has definitely made me appreciate some of the modern advances, you know, that I didn't think twice about in the States, but it's also helped me to appreciate the basics of life here and that yeah. having clean water and having food is important and everything else is kind of secondary, whether or not we can make it down the mountain today because there's a tree across the road or a mudslide. It doesn't matter if we miss an appointment or anything small like that, as long as you know we're okay, the dogs are okay. The property's okay, <laughs> and and you get used to it. You'd be surprised what you get used to. It, it's totally normal now for me to be like, oh, well, we can't drive down because there's a mini mudslide, or you know, there's another tree on the road. And and I do factor that in. You have to learn to to factor in time for yourself. For example, if I'm going to travel to go teach a workshop in the states, I'll always have a buffer day. Always. Because you never know, a bridge might go out, uh, there might be some kind of protest, closing the road, (laughs) which has been happening recently. You just don't know, the car could break down in the middle of nowhere, take seven hours to get a tow truck. So it's, it's good to prepare yourself and that will reduce the stress of living somewhere that maybe doesn't have all the modern advances that one is used to.
0: It's so interesting to me how much people take for granted for all of that, and I do the same thing. I live in a location where we lose power regularly. The internet doesn't always work, and I have to take a ferry if I want to go into the city. And people are like, "How do you live your life like that?" And it's like, I don't live like it's not like I'm living in 1940. It, it's, it's just there's some challenges that come from living outside of a well-populated area. But um, you you said you got into yoga about seven years ago. What sort of was the tipping point for you that that sent you in that direction?
1: Well, I don't really have a definitive point where I transitioned into yoga. It was more of a gradual change. As you said, I grew up doing dance and gymnastics, and then I taught aerials a little bit after college. About five or six years after that, I was trying to pick up aerials again. And I had remembered having such a passion for Movement and dance and gymnastics when I was younger. And I think that's what I was looking for. I was looking to tap back into that passion. And aerials, for whatever Mm. reason, wasn't doing it for me at the time. And so in an effort to connect with other people in the aerial field, whether that was pole or lira or silks. I started using uh, Instagram and other social media platforms just to see what other people were up to. Maybe there were things that, you know, I could get involved in. And that's where I started to stumble upon this growing yoga crowd as far as like the yoga crowd on social media. And I had always practiced yoga on and off um, throughout my youth. It was actually part of my training program in gymnastics and in dance, uh, especially the breathing portions, the pranayama techniques. But I had never considered myself a yoga practitioner. It was just something that I did to add to my other movement passions. And slowly, uh, about seven years ago, I started finding myself doing less and less work in the aerial fields and more and more in the yoga or yoga-based movement fields. And I think that a big part of that for me was just a mentality switch. I had grown up being a gymnast (laughs) and... Especially back then, you know, you know, we're talking twenty-five years ago, twenty years ago. It was very competitive and it still is now to some degree, but mm-hmm. as far yeah. as, you know, you don't go home until you get this trick. I remember some of our coaches pushing us down in oversplits and it was less about form than it was about getting the trick. Not always, but but at times. And so I had that mentality in my body and that carried over a little bit into my Ariel's work of of competition, mostly self-competition, and I will get this done at any cost, and yoga was kind of a breath of fresh air for me. It allowed me to take a step back and see what am I really doing to my body, at what cost for my future health and passion for movement, because if this is something that I enjoy then I would hope that I would want to keep doing this for the long haul. And am I really acting in a way that is going to let me do that for the long term? So yoga helped me kind of flip that mentality and in doing so, I feel like I I refound my passion for the movement practice. And it's just continued to grow and develop from there.
0: It's interesting that you say that because I have a dance background as well. Whatever it was, it was head to the knee. It was you, you kept working on the pirouettes. You weren't allowed to show any pain when you were up on the stage. You had to make it look easy and all of that. And I loved ballet. I mean, I took ballet from the time I was four until I was 22 years old. And so it was just this incredible movement. And I played softball. And it was like you, when I found yoga, it was more about the movement. But at the same time, I realized just how important yoga was for me to be able to heal some of the broken bits and pieces of my body from pushing too hard. And my biggest thing in life, and it sounds like <clears throat> what's kind of driven you too is about being able to be as mobile and do as many things as you love for as long as you possibly can. So when you think about things like that, you think about what's the best thing for me to do for my body? How's the best way for me to move through this practice? That's a part of what I really loved about when I found you with your yoga videos, your little one-minute yoga videos you were doing on Instagram was that you you used the props. You were really guiding people into doing what was best for their body and you made it very easy and approachable to understand. So as an instructor, I was really drawn to that. And I have probably a much different age group that I teach than you do. Mine are mostly midlife and older folks. So there's a lot of those people that can't do a handstand anymore. They're into doing the basics. What does a really good warrior two look like? What do I need to do to adjust to be here to live in my body a little bit better? Even though there are days I really want to do all the handstands, my body just, the broken pits just go, you know what, you have to stop. It's, it's one of those things that I found in yoga is that there's room in the practice for every level and every person to find a place where they can feel like they belong and so I just think that that is so important and to find people that are I used to love to watch you be on the lyric because I just thought it was so beautiful um, and that space you had an Austin absolutely gorgeous, by the way. It was just one of those things where it's like, I could see that you had so many other things, but you tied it all beautifully in together. And that was a part that just kept drawing me back to your page, back to your feed. And you have changed so much over the time that I've been following you. It's probably been, gosh, (laughs) I don't know, four years, maybe? Maybe (laughs) the other thing I wanted to ask you and I I won't ask you how yoga has changed your life because you really kind of touched on that but what are some of your inspir or who maybe is a better question of is some of your inspirations in your yoga practice and how you teach oh
1: gosh well this is by no way um a comprehensive list because we would be here for the rest of the day no (laughs) but um (laughs) you know obviously I would first have to say um some of my teachers I I think that the majority of my practice and the sort of detail-oriented alignment, how little changes can make big differences, I have to give most of that credit to Christina Sell. She was previously in Texas, now she's in Colorado. She is an amazing teacher, originally from the Anusara lineage, but um, has now kind of broken away from that. But just her, her attention to the tiniest detail, whether that was an anatomical speak or more of just a body awareness, really changed the way that I practice and the way that I think about postures and my body and sequencing. And she also she also made me realize that there's plenty of room within the movement and the yoga uh, practice that you can mold your teaching in a way that reflects your passions and you don't have to necessarily fit into the 45 or 60 minute public classes at a variety of studios rhetoric because i think that there for me when i first started learning about and teaching yoga i had this fear that It wasn't right for me because I had no interest in teaching, say, 15 public classes a week. And kudos to the people who do enjoy that. But it wasn't necessarily something that piqued my interest. I like spending time with people over the long haul and having the same students or being able to work with them for hours at a time to get into these not necessarily highly advanced postures, but complex postures. And Christina really showed me that you can do that. You can just host workshops or intensives and clinics and the kind of people who are looking for that instruction will come so it's not like you have to fit yourself into this pre-existing mold for yoga to have students. It's about putting yourself out there, having truth and advertising. This is what I'm going to provide you. And this is why I need this much time and students will come. So I really appreciate her for both her changing my physical practice, but also my mentality around what it means to be a yoga teacher in all the different varieties of ways. I also studied with Megan Curry, uh, as you said, and she played a big role in my lyrical sequencing. And she once again, I think the thing about people you draw inspiration from is that they're helping you to see strong points that you already have inside yourself. And so I already had a lyrical background, a dance background. And Megan helped demonstrate for me that it was fine. And in fact, it was good if I was passionate about it to pull that sense of creativity into my yoga practice and into my sequencing for myself or for my students. So I really appreciate that. As you said, I also study extensively with yoga medicine. I just did a great untreated cadaver lab with them. And Tiffany, the founder and owner behind that, is definitely a genius who inspires me regularly as far as the anatomy side. But there's so many people who inspire me on the anatomy and alignment level, both that I've met in person, and also that I just follow on Instagram. I mean, I could Jules Yoga, Laura Heineman, uh, oh, I, God, know, I love right? Jenny, Jenny Rawlings, Doc Jen oh. Fit, because that's also my background. You know, I had a background in biology and chemistry with an emphasis kind of on on human physiology, and I was going to go in the medical route, and so revisiting that passion for understanding the inner workings of the body and then putting that into something else I'm passionate about, like the movement practice and seeing how that can help others. Those people have really inspired me to revisit that part of myself and kind of pull it all together. But again, the list goes on and on. Even my husband, who's not at all in the yoga practice, inspires me daily just with his work ethic in his own field and also just being true and authentic to himself, which has inspired me to continue that Myself and, and my business partners, Aaron Kelly and Bianca Scalise, in their continual efforts to learn more and perfect their craft, that that just keeps pushing me too. So there's so many people.
0: And that's the thing is that it, every day there you can take inspiration from all sorts of different things. I admit I'm an anatomy geek and I pull out my field guide to the body, or I don't know if that's the, the real name of it, and sit down and read it just to read it. And people are like, you read anatomy books? Yes, Absolutely. I do so important to me to figure out, and people forget that everything in the body is interconnected. I think that the reason sometimes some of the best teachers are the ones that have had to overcome body issues, that's a part of why I'm so driven to following Laura, is that She really talks about how do you move your body in the most optimal way with her PT background. And she's, when you talk about imbalances in the body and what do I need to do to tweak that or move differently? And so it's just the thing for me with yoga is like, I want to be 95 and still teaching yoga because I just think that there is always something different that you can learn through the movement practice and ways that you can then apply that to your daily life wherever you are in your life. I mean, I've worked with PTs and OTs and used yoga as therapy for stroke patients and joint replacement folks. It's amazing to me to watch those people that walk in the door and they feel that maybe they don't have the capacity to do certain things they're in pain they're not sure about what's going on with their body but to watch them realize that they have more control than they thought they did to watch them fully inhabit their bodies i don't know about you but i see a lot of students who walk through the door who don't always live all the way in their body they're off to the side they're behind themselves and to to have the honor to watch someone who's a regular student show up and come fully into their body in a practice like that is is sometimes it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And so all of the different things, I think that there are a lot of different ways to teach. Like you said, you, you don't have to teach 15 classes a week. You don't have to always be in one location. You don't, and especially now with social media, it has changed things tremendously. The one thing that I didn't talk about and that we should also talk about is the fact that you have written some books that you can either purchase the book itself or you can buy the ebook and the other thing that i really love is the fact that you've done some online classes you and aaron have done some spaces on your own website where you guys have control over it you've also done some with a couple of different online groups i love the fact that though you kind of move over into those lines of maybe working with somebody else you've still managed to really kind of be control of your own destiny. I don't want to say intellectual property, but that is part of it. Your style of teaching, what you do and to be able to have offerings that are under your control and not somebody else's. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an idea about how I mean, I'm assuming that that just sort of organically kind of happened as you were doing this, but how did you kind of come to the conclusion that you wanted to stay in more control over your own intellectual property. I'm just going to sure. call it that. Well,
1: <laughs> I should say right off the bat that In case people can't tell from my online profile, I'm very type A. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sure my business partners would definitely corroborate that statement. Um, I love organization. I love actually the admin side of it. You know, I think for a lot of yoga teachers, they're very engulfed in the creative, creative, like big picture side of things. And I love that side too. I I love writing, I love art and music. That was also a big part of my background. But I, I also really like the, the other side of the brain work. I like admin, I like numbers, I like organizing things into sheets. And so it has been natural for me to manage that side of things for myself and then for our group as it's grown over time. And it just never even occurred to us to kind of let that be managed by anyone else. As far as working with the team, so Aaron, Bianca and myself have a school of movement called Authentic Movements that focuses on creativity, um, but logical creativity through an understanding of applied anatomy and alignment that then allows us to specify for for specific bodies, and for also specific goals, because people have different goals around their yoga, and to really tap into this intuitive creativity that we have to find our own creative language, and then make sure that it's a logical choice. And that came about fairly organically. As I said, right from the beginning, I kind of knew that I didn't want to teach a lot of public vinyasa flow classes. I wanted to get more in depth. I loved what Christina Sell was doing as far as her intensives in Texas and now in Colorado. I also knew that being a, a new teacher, even if it wasn't necessarily a new teacher of movement in general, but being a new yoga teacher, that it might be nice to have somebody with a similar philosophy working with me. And uh, I was lucky that Erin Kelly had a lot of, of free time. She, had, she was an artist, a professional artist. So Uh, She had a fairly flexible schedule and she also loved inversion. She loved detail. She loves creativity from from the artistic side. And so we started teaching some workshops together about inversions, about uh, high alignment backbends, about constructing creative sequences And it worked out so well and it felt so natural, both because of simple little things like if we're teaching a four-hour workshop, one of us can go to the bathroom while the other one is teaching, you know, little (laughs) details like that. But also that we get to hit a variety of students because even though we have very similar philosophies, we have slightly different creative languages. And she might be a little bit more lyrical in her speech. And so that may attract and hit a certain kind of student and that cue then registers in their body. And I am much more anatomical, just very logically minded. And so my cues will will not be necessarily like the lyrical, metaphoric yoga cues that some people think of when they think of yoga. And so then I hit a separate kind of student. So we're saying the same things in different languages, essentially, and we are hitting a larger group of students. And also when we are doing complex postures, like inversions, and we have, say, a four-hour inversion workshop, we tend to attract a lot of Type A, really intense people who come in there and they're like, I'm going to push myself. I'm going to do this. And I think seeing how silly Aaron and I are together and how lighthearted we are, but still attached to the details and the safety mechanisms helps people calm down, just helps them enjoy the practice more. It reminds them, oh, hey, I'm here because I actually like handstands. You know, it's not necessarily that big of a deal if I ever hold one. I'm here because I like movement practice. I'm here because it helps me tap into that inner child. And suddenly they're able to have a little bit more fun, or at least that's the goal. When they see us being silly with each other, then it lightens the mood of the room. And we've been lucky enough to add in Bianca Scalise over the last couple of years to a lot of our teachings because she also has a very similar general philosophy, but a slightly different creative language. And so always looking to add more members to the team. Um, but it <laughs> it's definitely been crazy how quickly it's grown. We're very honored that people want to come learn with us, that they want to come do 200 or 300 hours or these intensive-based modules. And I look forward to seeing where it goes in the future. It's so interesting because I did
0: take one of your workshops in Seattle when you guys were here. I was knee-deep in the middle of dealing with my hive issues. So I didn't have the opportunity to stay for the handstand workshop because I knew I was overheated and the room was too hot. And I thought I'm going to be a mess anyway. I need to go home. But it was just one of those things where, like you said, you both speak different languages. You speak different and not necessarily different than English, but you talk about things differently that then people hear things differently. You are definitely a detail-oriented person. And that comes across in in just in who you are, but it also in how you teach. Those little details were the thing that I was just like, oh, that is just so sweet. And then with Erin, because I follow her as well, is that, you know, she is more lyrical and she has this whole different sort of flowy kind of, and the silliness, I love that because what it does is it really humanizes the practice of yoga. I think that there are so many people that are intimidated by yoga studios or workshops or retreats or, you know, just stepping into a yoga class somewhere because they don't know that they don't understand the language. They don't know the poses. They're not going to be perfect. And so to be able to make it that it's approachable and that the student sees the teacher as the leader but not somebody who sits up on this pedestal and they can't ever attain whatever it is. Those are the kinds of things that when I think about the people that I follow and the women that I have asked to do interviews is that there's a wide range of people, a wide range of of people out there teaching and they're all speaking with different emphasis on different things and it's just so interesting to watch all of that happen, and I just love the fact that you guys have found sort of this rhythm with your travel. So you you do travel, but it's not like you have to travel every single week of every single year in order to do what you do. So it really shows me the importance of you you're you're striving for this way to be able to create a life that I and I hate the word balance because I don't think you ever find a space where there's balance, but you found the way to be able to keep the moving parts moving as smoothly as possible, make sure you have room to take care of yourself, have a life that's outside of your, of you teaching yoga. You know, one of my favorite things is when you cook and do you eat <laughs> a salad? I mean, come on.
1: So glad you enjoy that.
0: So I, those are the things that we're just like, it, there's a way to be able to have this practice, to be able to teach this practice and still have a life outside of that. Because in reality, when you think about it, there are only only so many yoga classes that you can teach in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year without burning yourself out and going, I don't want to do one more goddamn down dog if I have to again. Those are the kinds of things that I see that kind of shine through for you with your practice and your teaching is that you've really sort of just found this, this ease. And though you may be a type A person in how you manage the details and what you do, you you really have this ease that comes through that is about living your life your whole life not just in bits and pieces and that's pretty impressive at least to me it oh. is I don't really <laughs> care about anybody else but it's pretty
1: impressive. thank you so much Sherry I mean I think that a big part of that for me was not rushing into teaching yoga full-time. And I still wouldn't consider myself as a full-time yoga teacher. I worked corporately for a long time in the health and wellness field when we lived in Austin. And even after I had had multiple trainings, 200-hour, 300-hour, partial 50 hours, I was still working full-time. And when I say full-time, I was still working 60, 65 hours a week in my corporate job. And everything I did with social media and everything I did with teaching yoga workshops, that was outside of my corporate job. And I did it because I was passionate about And I think that if you're passionate enough about something, you will find some time to do it. And at some point, the balance, uh, as you said, started to shift a little bit and yoga started to take up more time. Uh, but I let that kind of happen naturally and I didn't rush it. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with, you know, completing your training and jumping right into teaching ten or fifteen classes a week. It's gonna be great practice. But I knew that for me personally, that would be a way to burn myself out. I like having a variety of different ways to use my brain and my body. And so even now, I still have some of my old admin jobs. I still work for the the previous owner of the health food company. I still do investment work with him and budgeting, and I, I like that. I like to, Diversify. And so I think that people have this idea that, oh, if you're a yoga teacher, then you're only a yoga teacher, but you don't have to. That's just one choice. And, you know, you can kind of find and build your own niche in this field which is what's so wonderful about it because it's so expansive.
0: It is. And you know, it's interesting that you should say that because at one point in time in my life I was working full-time still raising my daughter and teaching between 10 and 12 yoga classes wow. a week because I just was so passionate about teaching yoga. It's not something you can sustain long-term. I mean, the burnout was was really high for me. I have this very dedicated local student base that I really love. I would really love to teach more retreats. I'm going to figure out how to make that happen. It just hasn't happened yet. But it's it's interesting to me to kind of dive in a little bit deeper to just women, because that's what I'm creating this community for is women and giving them a place to have a voice that we can keep all the balls in the air. We do all of these things. We're multitaskers and we do what we need to do and there are times where we're in more survival mode, and there are times when we're in more thrive mode, and there are times when we have a good blend of the two, and it, life is not static, just like a yoga practice isn't static, and so it, it's just interesting to me how people have, women, I'll say, have found this space to be able to move within that space and find ways that They may not love their daytime job every day, so they do some other things that give them that gratification that maybe their full-time job doesn't, and then maybe eventually it morphs into doing more of what you love and less of working for somebody else. This whole thing right now that's going on, and not just in our country, in the States, but in the world of women not necessarily always having a voice or not feeling that they can actually speak from their heart or not feeling that they have wisdom that is important to share. The other pieces of it is is that you, know, you have been right out there with just talking about the things that are important to you in your heart and being honest about that. And from the standpoint of I never really hear you ever worry about losing followers or losing students or whatever it is that you, the biggest part of Who you are as an instructor is who you are as a woman. And when you were talking about the whole thing about the period and the pictures on the internet, and it's an everyday part of our life at whole segments of time in our life. And Mm -hmm. nobody ever talks about it. Just like nobody ever talks about menopause, the things that go on with that. They don't talk a lot about chronic illness and what happens with all of that. But if you have a broke dick and you can go out and buy a broke dick <laughs> pill to fix your broken dick, it's out there and ready and waiting for you. And and don't get me wrong, I love men. I have had some fabulous men in my life over the years, but I, I'm I'm to the point where I'm really tired of having to continue to have this conversation of, I get to have a seat at the table too. And my voice is just as important as a man's voice. That's sort of the other, the the bigger piece for me in my connection that I feel for you is that you really just are exactly who you are. (laughs) And that's really, I mean, that's, to me, that's a very important quality. So is that something that you've always been? Did you feel you had to find a way in order to to make that happen or?
1: Um, That's an interesting question. So I think for a long time now, I've been lucky enough to be fairly sure of myself and who I am um, and who I'm going to continue to work towards being. When I was younger, I was very, very shy. When I was a young child, I was very shy and I was afraid to put myself out there. And again, I don't necessarily have a definitive point of when that changed, but I started to kind of see from the outside because I've never been a particularly emotional person uh, or not that emotions are a bad thing or anything like that, but I've always had more of that rational mind. I've been able to kind of step back and I saw that people were much too worried about what was going on with themselves to care what I was doing. And so essentially, (laughs) I could do whatever I wanted. I could be my authentic self and probably no one was going to care. And the very few people who did didn't really necessarily matter. So by the time I started using social media, it just felt natural. It also felt like truth in advertising. While at the beginning, I I wasn't expecting to teach all this yoga and to have people coming. I just didn't even think twice I wanted to present who I really was on my online platform um, because the only people who followed me there were my friends and so they knew who I was <laughs> it'd be pretty <laughs> ridiculous so I was trying to pretend to be someone else and so that just kind of continued to carry on and uh, again I'm I'm lucky I have a pretty thick skin so it doesn't necessarily bother me what people on the internet say about me or about anything I do of course I'm always open to constructive criticism but you're not going to hurt my feelings by telling me you don't like my body or my hair or that what I'm doing is not your definition of yoga. And so it was easy to kind of stay true to myself in that field. And again, I I find emotion fascinating and the study of behavior fascinating, but I step yeah. back from more of that rational or logical viewpoint and I don't necessarily have an immediate emotional reaction or response that I feel I have to put down on social media. So if something does bother me or if something feels passionate to me, such as the post about um, menstruation and and period leak shaming, I was able to sit with that for a little while, put my thoughts together in a way that I felt was more helpful than me just necessarily complaining about an issue. Because honestly – There's a lot to complain about it as women these days, and there's a lot to complain about for many minority groups. So not just, you know, people who identify as women, but (laughs) complaining about it doesn't necessarily help. How can we constructively present an idea with logic behind it and hopefully show some kind of action plan or get some kind of constructive conversation going to get it in the open and not just people throwing insults at each other on the internet. Because of course, that's, you know, one of our favorite pastimes (laughs) as modern humans.
0: What's so interesting is that you open a conversation and you say, I want to have an open conversation about this. And you provide a space for people to come in and talk about it. And when somebody gets out of line, you might make some, some kind of a comment about it. But what I love is that it feels like you have this space where people can walk in the door and they can say whatever it is they need to say. And like you said, you have a thick skin, so it doesn't really have to do anything with you in terms of what you look like or what your practice is or how you teach or whatever it is. That just shows just how in touch you are with who you are as a person. But the fact for me, is that we have to have these conversations. We have to have the easy conversations and we definitely have to have the hard conversations. And we have to be able to have those conversations that are open for people who have different beliefs than we do so that we can actually have a conversation where we talk with each other and not at each other. And it needs to have something where we remove that whole space of fear because we see what happens when people try to manage or in politics to rule with fear and what that does to people and how it's misinformation. It's it's people who don't understand because they don't live their life the same way, but they actually sit down and have a conversation with someone. It can be very enlightening. So those are the kinds of conversations that are the ones that I really want to have. And I think about, especially in our leadership, is that there are so many highly intelligent people in the world. And so many women that probably have some solutions, some really good solutions to some of these problems out there that are either struggling to be heard or they've never been heard or they don't feel that they have the education, whatever it is, the money, whatever it is. And the same thing with with other with minority groups. The same thing is that they've been sort of pigeonholed into this space. And the only way that we are going to move together as a tribe, and that means the human tribe, is to actually have these conversations. So I look at things like that. And like you said, instead of just throwing out insults on the internet, that we actually are open to having a conversation that invites other beliefs than our own and to be able to listen to each other and maybe find some way to meet each other in the center, be able to compromise on certain things. And you're never going to make everybody happy. I've come to that conclusion. I mean, I've been teaching 16 years. I've seen, I have probably over 12,000 practical teaching hours under my belt and i have heard and seen a whole lot of things i've had people comment on my my hair my lip gloss how i dress the the whole thing and it's my belief with especially the yoga practice is is that there is a yoga teacher And there is a style of yoga for everyone. And if you don't feel in sync with what I'm doing, I welcome you continuing to go out to find someone that can do that for you. It's all a part of being able to remove your ego out of the equation. There are, I I know there are instructors out there that teach from ego. There are people that live their lives from a very ego driven space and there's nothing wrong with passion. You can I, I love, I'm a very passionate person, but I think that you need to be able to temper that passion with learning more information, being able to admit when you've made a mistake or when you're wrong, and then to be able to say, gee, I really appreciate your opinion. I really appreciate your perspective. And and be able to kind of absorb that and and have it inform you into, you know, where you move next in your life. I just, I don't know about you, but have you felt like you have, I mean, there's a whole lot of shit yeah. in the yoga industry. There's a whole lot of judgment about what's real yoga, what isn't real yoga, who's a better teacher, about gurus, about the responsibility of a teacher versus, you know, being in a a student type situation. And the thing that bothers me the most is that it's turned into this whole thing of if you don't look a certain way speak a certain way teach a certain way then then you're you're not a part of the group so my next question would be is where do you sort of see yoga moving as it goes <laughs> forward and gosh that's a really big question <laughs> i'm not necessarily talking about where you see it as a movement or as a whole but do you do you see I mean as far as for you I mean you you seem like you have this really good rhythm going and that there's a lot of of things out on the horizon for you and do you just kind of see yourself just continuing to move in the path that you're moving or are you looking at some other things that you might like to add into what you're doing
1: Um <laughs> still a big question uh, as far <laughs> as I I think that you know it is a very controversial topic right now about You know, modern yoga versus traditional yoga and all that. And I'm not going to get into too much detail on that, but I do believe that in order to be useful and viable, things have to transition and grow and change with the people who are utilizing those tools. You know, this is a very different time and age than, you know, ancient Indian practices. And in order to continue to be as helpful as possible, yoga has to be. Able to have the flexibility to change and grow with those times and also with the very wide variety of bodies and needs and desires that um, the practitioners today have. Uh, As far as my personal movement practice and teachings, I mean, obviously it's already been changing, it will continue to change. I think that growth is extremely important. I think that continued education of all kinds is extremely important. I mean, we require our teachers in the school system to have a certain number of continued education hours every few years. And I know Yoga Alliance technically requires a few. It's not necessarily highly regulated, but I believe in continual continued education uh, in perpetuity and forever. I love learning. And so that will continue to sculpt and mold my practice and therefore my teachings because I think that experimenting in my body and my practice is is essential to then being able to communicate clearly and helpfully to a wide variety of students. I hope to continue to refine my skills to teach to a variety of audiences. I think that one of the great benefits of yoga today is, is how many different branches of it there are and how many different teachers with all these specificities and all these, um, different language cues or prop usage cues and how that they are then able to really help specific students, whether that's in privates or specific groups of students. And that's something I want to continuously hone because a big part of authentic movements is that everybody's creative language is a little bit different. And one of my favorite things is, yes, we're going to teach you lots of alignment cues. And we're going to teach you about risk factors in certain joints and how you can try to avoid those in different bodies. But essentially, all of the teachers that come out of the authentic movement school are very different. Instead of having a specific way of teaching, they have a specific set of tools that they then utilize and develop in their own way. And so because everyone's creative language is different and because everyone's passion is different. You know, at this last YTT, we had a student who, whose practicum was essentially like this fabulous fitness class with all this crazy music and functional movement, dynamic movements. And then we had another student who taught more of a restorative class where half of it was meditation and pranayama. And I want to always refine the skills necessary to, teach that ability to tap into your personal passion and your innate creativity and how to then extrapolate that to others in a way that is logical, but fun in a way that then inspires them to do the same in their own body. And, and that is a complex thing, right? Because obviously we want to, we want to avoid injury. Uh, But injury can look different for different people. There are some, you know, we can teach the basics about joints like the hip and the shoulder and the knee and what is most common in postures and how to avoid that and how to utilize the body. But I think it's more about teaching how those little movements and those transitions in between can make really big differences and starting to fine tune this body-mind connection and that knowledge and that experience then allows you to, to extrapolate into any variety of postures and any style of teaching that you then prefer. So I just hope to continue to hone my skill in both articulating this complex topic and also helping people realize that in themselves. And I think that just comes with practice and in learning to work with a variety of students and kind of help them pull the creativity out of themselves. True.
0: That I mean, that that's the the thing that always... Drives me is the continuing wanting to learn. I want to know more. I want it's, but that that's kind of like you, like you. I am one of those people that is a perpetual student. I'll be a student for the rest of my life, and it's not because someone is telling me or dictating that in order for me to do a certain thing that I have to do this. for For me personally, I take it as that's my my personal code is that. I want to be able to deliver the best I possibly can to my students or to my job or to the people in my life. And that means being able to open to learning new things. Plus, I just think it's cool to learn something no- new and be able to actually verbalize it to somebody else and they can then understand it, too. It's kind of a talent that some people have more than other. I believe it's something that you can exercise and learn how to grow and change. But it it, it's interesting that you the some of those words that you were using were like, (laughs) oh that's my word. I get that. (laughs) You're speaking my language. Where is it that you go to push your limits in yourself personally? Not necessarily in your yoga practice, but just as a as you as your person. Where is it that you go to push your limits?
1: Mm, That's a good question. I guess it depends. And sometimes Pushing my limits is actually the antithesis of that for me, and that is stepping back because, you know, I, I grew up as this perfectionist, this overachiever that's very type A person. I tend to, if anything, kind of overstretch myself. And so scheduling time off for myself is sometimes pushing my limits. <laughs>
0: I was going to say that that, that's pushing a limit is to, you know, making sure you It really is.
1: Because I do, I want to contribute as much as possible. Luckily, I do have my my partners to help me kind of logically think that through. And they're like, no, Stephanie, we cannot schedule another intensive. (laughs) Like you promised (laughs) us we would have this week off to prep for the next session. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. So I I really do appreciate them. Um, But as far as actually pushing my limits, even just here in the jungle. just the environment is so helpful for that. I find myself more creatively inclined. I find myself in a healthier space physically as well as mentally, which then gives me more drive to focus on what I'm passionate about. As I said before, I'm continually drawing inspiration um, from my husband who also pushes me because he is continually looking for further education. He's always doing research. He always wants to have the newest, most, most in-depth information about a subject so he can make his best decisions about it and then share that with others. And so that's very inspiring for me, not just to jump to conclusions about the newest yoga trend or, or queuing article and really to dig deep and see, is that relative to me? Is it helpful? Or do I need to keep digging deeper? So I do appreciate that as well. <laughs> as far as uh, pushing my, my limits for my physical practice, I, I do try to step back again from those from my competitive gymnastics and dance days. But I I push myself in other ways, which is more about the little details and the small alignment cues. And I I do that usually through either since I can't visit her all the time now in Colorado, Christina's online classes or going to some yoga medicine intensives, because again, Tiffany, is just a genius. It's so
0: interesting to, to think about you, you know, saying that to push your limits sometimes is, is to step back, is to take things off of the table, to remove some of those things. And like you, I was a, you know, type A and it always had to be perfect and And so to release the grip on some of that stuff, yoga has really helped me with that. I am a person who like, oh, oh yeah, I can do that. And I can do that and that'll work too. And, you know, looking at my working full-time, raising a child (laughs) and teaching 10 to 12 yoga classes a week. It's one of those things where, and you, you may feel the same way that when you do a little less, it gives you a little more room for your creativity to actually step forward. It gives you a little bit more space for passions to kind of grow a little bit deeper. That's one of those. And, and that's a very subtle sort of a piece that it took me a while to figure that out. Just how much that affects my ability to be able to be creative and just to not be exhausted. And to learn that the hard way just from being sick and having a chronic illness and my body not having the stamina that I'm used to it having. You know, aging is just, I don't, I'm probably close to 20 years older than you are. So it's just one of those things where no one can prepare you for the things that are going to show up later in life. And and just how do you approach that with as much compassion and desire to continue to find the spaces to do as much as you can do within the parameters that you're, you find yourself in? That's been an interesting experience, but I am so outside of the normal demographic in social media, it cracks me up <laughs> to go and... <laughs> and 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 look at some of that. And I didn't really realize, I mean, because for me, when I started out with that, it was a place to post pictures. And then all of a sudden, I found these yoga people. It was like, well, that's kind of cool. Then all of a sudden, it's, it's morphed in so many different ways. I don't know how long you've been on Instagram, but I've just seen it morph in so many different ways over the years. And I mean, there are times when it's like, I can't do this anymore. There's just too much toxicity here. There's too much judgment. And then there's somebody like the woman that did the song on the ukulele about how it's tough to be a, a boy and <laughs> and just i i just loved her because she just she sang from her heart and she was just and all of a sudden she's gone viral and what's happened with all of that and so there's still good there i just have to keep that in my frame of mind of there's really good things that can come out of social media. If you keep it in the right perspective, I, I, I see you being able to do that. And that that's really sort of a, something that I, I look forward to from your feed is that just how you just, you're just you're normal, <laughs> <laughs> whatever that is, you're, you're just who you are. And, and I appreciate Thank that you. about you. So do want to make sure that we tell everybody where it is that they can find you. So, if you want to tell everyone what your your Instagram handle is and your website, et etc, that would be really great. I'll include it in the show notes for everybody as well, but you would tell everyone absolutely,
1: that would be great. so it's pretty easy to find me. Um, my Instagram handle is casa underscore colibri casa colibri means hummingbird house it was the name of my old aerial studio in austin and my website is just the same thing www.casa-colibri.com and from there you can get to everything my online videos whether that's the ones on the authentic movements platform you can get to my schedule most of it teaching with aaron kelly and bianca the 200 300 hours the books and paperback and ebook and anything else, information about me and even my videos on other platforms and my free videos on YouTube because I do have some free classes for a variety of levels on my YouTube. Um, I love to share and I hope to do more of that later. You can find out more about our retreat center here in the jungle at flowretreatcenter.com. And that's just F-L-O, no W. And yeah, thank you so much, Sherry, for just allowing me to be on this platform and share a little bit about my story and my practice. Well,
0: I appreciate you taking the time to uh, be with me today and appreciate you hanging in there for the weeks and months that it took for us to be able to pull this all together and to uh, help me with my dream of creating a space for women to share their stories and be authentically who they are to feel celebrated. Because I believe that we all need to be celebrated, just some days getting up and getting close on and make it out the door is space to celebrate say hi to Ben for me tell him I I, I miss I haven't seen uh you know do you even salad tell him while, he needs so. to get on his salad game
1: and I mean we're gonna have to do this again because we barely scratched the surface of some of these questions so. we
0: did so yes I would like to also potentially have you and Aaron together we can do a podcast together and just just talk about life and, and everything else but again thank you so much for your time today I really appreciate it and I look forward to Talking Sounds to you great, again. Sherry. Thank you so much. Steph Gongora, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to meeting you again in the community of Titanium Blonde and sharing stories. That concludes another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks. Thank you for joining me today. Stay tuned for another episode next week. You can go to our website, www.titaniumblonde.com to listen to the podcast. Check out the blog post interviews in the interview series and also the show notes in the podcast link. If you have Apple Podcasts, go out and search for Titanium Blonde Talks. We would love it if you'd subscribe and maybe write a review and share with your friends. We would love to get these women's stories out to as many people as possible. Also, coming in 2019, we'll be switching to a new platform that will allow us to put the podcast out onto Spotify, Stitcher, and several of the other podcast listening locations. Stay tuned for that, and thanks again for joining me.